Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to this webinar hosted by Leadership Network. My name is Brian Johnson. I'm one of the directors of the Microchurch Next team, along with Rob Wegner. Today, we have Hugh Halter joining us. Yes. Get into that in a little bit. Um, so this webinar that we host each week, 1230 Eastern Standard Time, is a place where we're just trying to create like a fireside. We want to talk with leaders in the microchurch world that are exploring this paradigm and dreaming missionally and thinking about what's next for the church in the West and how we can dream about new forms of that, uh, new pathways to help people step into their unique callings and see disciples made and microchurches emerge. So we're so thankful that you joined us and I'm going to let Rob introduce the topic we're jumping into today. Hey everybody. Uh, So glad you're part of this conversation. Uh, we're here to remind you every week that you're not crazy uh, and you're not alone. I mean, that's, you know, that's wrong. actually not true. Yeah, I feel like you need to add the not too crazy. Stop. Start over. Everybody's crazy. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. <laughs> it's all good. And hey, a friendly reminder uh, again, all of these are available for replay. Uh, they'll also be being put into podcasts. And every week we have a companion article uh, that's going to really give you something that you can have a conversation around or share with the team or share with the family. Uh, So you hope you'll take advantage of all that. And today in this series that we've been exploring the return of the microchurch, um, which again, uh, we always say that tongue in cheek uh, because we think of course the origin of the microchurch is in the pages of the new Testament. And it's been the primary expression outside of the Western world so we're, we're catching up and we're excited about it. And today we're talking about the healthy rhythms of a microchurch. So a microchurch is not an event. You don't, in our, at least in our ecosystem, you don't plant a microchurch. What happens is there's ordinary people who get a, a sense of calling to particular people that they're sent to a particular place. Uh, they begin to live deeply there um, and earn credibility and bring common good. And, uh, small talk turns to meaningful conversation, turns to spiritual conversation, and then gospel conversations and new disciples are made. And as you see this new emerging network of new disciples, what you have there in your hands is a microchurch, a new extended spiritual family. And, and Jesus said, uh, of course, Jesus instituted the biological family, but he said this spiritual family is actually your deepest family. And, and just like any family that's healthy, there's going to be Parts of it that are organic, and that's most of it, but there's also parts of it that are organized. Uh, Healthy families, if they don't have some kind of organized rhythms, don't continue to be healthy families. (laughs) They become disintegrated families. And today, uh, again, I can't think of a better person for us to have a conversation about this topic with than Hugh Halter. Hugh has been on a journey with Brian and I for years. In fact, when we were on staff at a large church, we were running... Uh, the skunk works that actually eventually birthed the Kansas city underground. Hugh was uh, our, we, we referred to him affectionately as the hand solo of the missional movement. <laughs> Alan Hirsch is the Yoda, <laughs> but Hugh, oh, I don't want to be Yoda. No, no, you're, no. 
Think about it, man. Think about it. People would refer to me as Darth, don't you think? Yeah. (laughs) Before before we let Hugh introduce himself, I I, I feel like I have to tell one quick story of my first introduction with Hugh Halter. Do it. I I, I know that I've told Hugh this story. I don't know if I've told you, Rob, but we were uh, in the Southeast and planting a little congregation, little church there. And I was really fascinated with this tangible kingdom book. Just rocked my world. Oh, yeah. Come on. And they were hosting these little two day intensives in Denver. And I was like, I got to go, man. I got to go. So a buddy of mine and I, we went and, you know, I'm like, I can't wait to meet Hugh Halter. And it's all these other people talking that all of a sudden Hugh walks in and he has the first session and he says, I'm Hugh Halter. And this is the first day of my sabbatical and I don't want to be here. So let's get this over with. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my nice day. That's when I was actually on my, my shepherding hat. That's right. You're, you're less crusty now. I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. I just said you're less crusty now. Well, we still affectionately call you the curmudgeon. Yeah. yeah. My kids. I am. I think I am getting nicer, though. Like, I grow more. Yeah. Know, you're, like, you've been up leveling up in your fatherly affection for yeah, a lot of it's just been really cool. when your bodily functions begin to shut down, you just start to go, well, I don't want to leave them with that memory. Let's try to be a little nicer. <laughs> that sabbatical healed you, bro. That's what it was. You Actually, just you screwed up my whole life. That's what caused us to end up in Alton. Seriously. <laughs> all right. All right. Before we get there, you're in Alton. So do a quick just overview where you are now. Just kind of I'm Hugh Halter. I live in Alton, maybe a little bit more than that. Hugh Halter. I live in Alton. Alton's a little town just north of St. Louis, right on uh, Mississippi River. It's actually a fantastic town, uh, but uh, lost about two thirds of its population uh, since the early 1900s. Kind of an original Rust Belt town, a lot of deep racial history. And uh, we actually had sent our son out here uh, who, uh, you know, we'll get into that story. It's how we learned microchurch, but uh, we found an assisted living center for him out here. So we we put him out here and just began to visit this town and uh, just started to get under our skin. So my wife decided that we should move here and sell our place in Denver. And uh, as she put it, do something to help the town out. So we, uh, we've been out here about six years. And, um, uh, you know, if you want the whole story in two minutes, a gentleman that I barely knew, gave me a big federal post office that had been boarded up for 60 years. Uh, after we were kind of walking the streets and praying, uh, bought two houses, my two adult daughters and their brand new husbands all joined us on this mission. We all did it together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we really had no idea what we were going to do until uh, this building was dropped in our lap and we just began to go, what would be good news to this town? And so, um, we ended up creating what we would call the the living room for our city, a place where people can connect and gather. So now it's it's a network of a bunch of micro businesses and a few nonprofits and some justice works and some intentional houses and neighborhoods that uh, we put under a nonprofit. And we just try to, as you know, the purpose statement of our nonprofit profit is to incubate good works. So we're just mm. we're here probably the rest of our lives trying to incubate good works. Uh, we see all those as little micro ventures. And uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's the Alton story. We're very thankful to be here. Mm. Well, you, you've, 
in, in the different places that you've lived, uh, Portland, I know you were there, Denver, um, now Alton, there's always been new networks of extended spiritual families that emerge. And even when you were coaching us, it was almost two years you'd come out, what was it, once a month, sleep in my basement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good story by the way they'll create a little harry potter room underneath our stairs for Hugh to sleep in <laughs> and she was so excited i had to sleep in it <laughs> uh but yeah you know we feel like you're uh, a father or at least a grandfather in our movement as well and when these uh so just hit a couple highlights you know what have you seen as some of the through lines in all of those networks of microchurches that you helped catalyze and get started. Like yeah, what are the primary themes? Yeah, there's really been like when we got started in Portland, that was back in the 90s. Um, we were more inner city Portland, uh, black, white context. Um, and, you know, we had to do what I think, you know, this is one of the through lines is that micro church works when it's the only option you got left. Mm. Uh, and it's the only option we had to start with. Our son's epilepsy it was terrible. Uh, he was having 20 grand mal seizures daily. So we we couldn't really imagine life outside of the house. We just had to open up. My wife said one day, she said, let's just at least open up our front door. So we had we had no energy. We had no uh, we had no place. We had no ability to pull off a worship gathering or anything like that. Um, we were exhausted, but we had a home and we had a little bit of love for lost people. And so we just began to rhythm our lives around meals and inviting people over. And in pretty short order, the house was full and we started to just see God build his church there. So that was, you know, there's one through line is that micro church can't be your last ditch hope to save your church. It has, it has to be a decision that this is going to be a way of life. Amen. Story that we want our family to grow up in. Um, I used to always tell people, I don't even know if what we're doing will work, but it's the only way I know how to follow Jesus. And I, I don't know how to follow him outside of this way. So we did about, well, we lived our whole life in Portland and that was a completely unchurched. Like we, we knew nobody was going to come to a church service. Mm-hmm. And that was way back in the eighties and nineties. And then when we moved to Denver, um, that was more of an intentional. We said, let's create a missionary movement. That was what we said, at least out loud or internal doc to ourselves. We never said to start a church. We just said, uh, let's, in fact, we bylawed it as a Dulham communities. So we said, let's name it as a network of communities, even before we knew what we were doing. And that was a tangible kingdom story. That's where we began to uh, actually come up with the rhythms that we would coach people into. And we can talk a little bit about uh, about that later. But uh, so that was a 15 year story. And that was a network of, uh, you know, what we now call micro churches at the time we called them missional communities or incarnational communities, but had uh, a pretty good chunk of those around the Denver metro area. And, you know, then we started to codify what we were, what we were doing internally. And that became the tangible kingdom book. And then uh, really, the last 10, 12 years has been all over the world talking through the rhythms of what, uh, what, you know, what community, what church, what life looks like. So, you know, some of the through lines that I've noticed with other networks is a, I'd, I'd say a passion for, it's like the missionary heart 
where missionary light bulb has finally gone on. Uh, you know this, there's a process we all go through as leaders where we check out other people's stories to see if like we got the guts for it or the, you know, or the whatever for it, um, or if we're going to get any buy-in or whatever. At some point though, you just go, it doesn't matter. We live in a pure mission field and we got to act like missionaries. So when that light bulb finally comes on, that's a through line that tends to anchor you, whether or not you can find two people to join you or eventually as you guys did, you know, when, when you let the cat out of the bag, there were hundreds of people that wanted to live into that. So the missionary heart is a big one. I will say though, there's kind of a, I don't know if it's a positive or negative, but there's a through line of starting and then stopping that I've noticed. It's like when you get past the method and you go, oh, I actually have to live this. I always notice with networks that they go, are we sure we want to do this? Or can we, you know, fortunately COVID, I think really helped this side, you know, we call them, uh, you know, COVID crustaceans or, you know, there's these little people that have been living in the crevices of demise their whole lives. So when COVID hit, it was like, this is easy. Like we know what to do, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people that were leaning into the missional conversation, that liked what they heard, but it was just too painful. So that they, they dipped their toe into it and then they went, ah, there's too many fights around the church. Let's just go back to church. So I feel like the through line that gets you through it is when you finally go, it, it doesn't matter how many we lose <laughs> or, you know, and also the recognition that um, and I think this is a healthy recognition that God hasn't called all of us to just keep church services going. Like yeah. we're totally committed to the harvest to, to new wine and new wineskins, which means new people come into faith. So there's a point where you go, look, there's there's hundreds of churches in our town that can provide a sermon mm-hmm. and a place for the kids, but we're just not called to that. So to me, that's what gets you through it is when you fully commit to the harvest, uh, primarily before the sheep. Like you, you go, you're a, you're a movement that goes for the one and you let the 99 maybe get covered by the other churches. So this to me is a, it's a burn the bridge type of a thing. I don't, I don't think you can hybrid this. That's my personal mm-hmm. take. And I've, I've actually been hired to help churches hybrid it. And I just, I tell them before they hire me, it won't work. <laughs> they want to be the one that proves it. You know um, what happens is what happened to you guys is that you create a movement alongside an existing church and you honor and, you know, in your guys' case, you had to chart out on your own. And that's oftentimes new wine, as we say, will never, you know, I guess, Jesus, we should listen to him. You know, that new wine doesn't go in that old stuff. Mm-hmm. But Jesus loves to honor both. He doesn't want either of the wineskins to blow up. So I think that's a through line. It's that, that utter commitment to go. And if it takes 18 years for it to set and begin to bear fruit, we're committed to 18 years or Amen. So those, I guess it may not be encouraging for some of you, but <laughs> no, seem to like it. They like that. They go, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I can't go back. Yeah. And yeah. I, I want to say too, again, for those of you that are watching right now, I know a lot of you are here because that's the moment you've had or you're having. And we just, we want to honor that. It, yeah. What he's talking about is what, and we're trying to pound this through all of these conversations. This is not about a model or a methodology. I mean, fundamentally it's about a conversion and then, mm. and it's like blood and fire and it's mud and boots and it's, 
and it's about repentance. And um, thank you for um, yeah setting that because that's what this is about. Our little staff meeting today, staff, it's just people that work in our business network. And we were just talking about the question of, you know, when, when do we think we've arrived or when, you know, like, when will it happen? And we just, we could not figure out, it's like trying to figure out when Peter got saved. You just can't figure it out. And we realized that the, the commitment to the gospel and to Jesus is never about a metric that you can go, oh, I think we finally did it or it's finally working. Because you know, I always tell people in any form of ministry, most of it doesn't feel like it's working. And then God makes something work out of it. And I, I think microchurch, if people are looking as a, as a way to quickly save their church, then get back to some comfort. Um, man, it's just it's missing the whole question. Like this is a journey with the Lord in the harvest where mm-hmm. he goes. So yeah, um, you're never going to be done. It's never going to really work that great. But it... Uh, I think it feels way better than not working at normal church where nobody's. <laughs> oh, when I hear your story just now, the things that you're working out, you know, I, even Alton the last few years has been this kind of slow chugging along. You know, I remember several phone calls with you where it's like, feels like not a lot's happening. You know, like we're waiting on some more teammates. We're waiting on, you know, this next thing to kind of break through. And now we've had a big setback here. And, you know, it's like the um, I'm sure that's probably true of Portland and of Denver as well. Um, It makes me think, too, of uh, just this was telling Rob this yesterday. I was listening to this friend of ours. We were talking to just that, you know, we talk about multiplication. We talk about growth and we have that mindset that that little graph one day is just going to turn up and things are going to be hitting and going. And he said the you know, the, the graph, the paper looks like it turns up and things start going fast. But he said, this, that's not what's actually happening. He said, all of this is like just really slow work. You know, and when the graph turns up, it's not that it speeds up. It's just a whole bunch more people doing the slow work. <laughs> and it was like, Oh man, <laughs> it, it's never about fast. It's about inviting more people into that story of doing that long obedience and just joining you in that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Even when we, you know, when we were traveling, doing a lot of tangible kingdom, you know, training people, you know, they knew my gifting was more evangelistic. So they just assumed, you know, it happened fast. And I said, no, even like when my primary gifting is that most of the, the, the pure conversion stories of somebody to Jesus were minimum two to five year stories. So we're talking hundreds of meals yeah. <laughs> only to watch their kids play T-ball and sing in a choir. And I hate that stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a lot of reps. It is. And eventually you see a little sprout coming out of the ground and you go, that's, uh, and, and you guys know this, whenever you see any fruit of the spirit, it's like, it's a miracle, like yeah. a great conversation with a friend over the fence. You just, you go home and you weep because you go, it's, it's amazing that that guy told me yeah. that part about his life. And so I just, I think it's the best of times, but it'll oftentimes feel like the worst of times if you got your, your eye on the wrong thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. So we've been working through again, this series just called the return of the micro church. And 
whether it's this conversation that we're having with people like you or anybody that comes to Kansas City to do training, whatever it is, we have this question that often comes up. What's a microchurch look like? And our response is, well, you, you, you just have to come live with me for a couple of weeks if you want to see it. I think the, the filter or the framework is like the question is coming through an experience of a small group or something like that, which is about the Bible study. I want to know what that looks like when everybody gets together and you study the Bible. Tell me what that looks like. Well, it's like, well, that looks like what a Bible study looks like. But if you want to know what the microchurch looks like, it's it's the uh, it's the holistic, you know, two to three, four weeks of a month where you add in all of these little places where our lives interacted and they collided for whatever thing you're mentioning some of them, right? Like it's the conversation over the fence. It's the meals, it's the T-ball, it's the, whatever the thing is. And if you're, if you're not a microchurch in a neighborhood, if it's a, a workplace environment, if it's some other network of relationships, it's still about that holistic interaction of our lives together. Uh, but one of the things that we learned from you was this language of two, one, one. So let's walk through that and talk about how the rhythms of a microchurch are really what makes the family kind of move. Yeah. The two on one um, really was in our study of gospel, right? So we, uh, we really start with Matthew 16 where Jesus said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And we, once we realized, and it was really reading Dallas Willard, it was uh, his theological work on what the kingdom of heaven. Now it looks like, and he was the first one that ever told me that the gospel was not like a set of beliefs or doctrines you try to get somebody to mentally adhere to, but the gospel is the way it is in heaven manifest here on earth now. So uh, we just went, well, what does that look like if Jesus said, I'll give you the keys to the gospel, keys to the kingdom? We read everything that Jesus talked about. We watched um, and we studied early missionary movements, the Moravians, uh, Wesley's bands, and we just, we started to post it note all over our basement aspects of the kingdom. And there was a point where we realized there's only three aspects that we could think of. They all just sort of are different pictures. So those became the two on one or what people know, you know, the tangible kingdom by is there's three little circles of kingdom life. And one we call communion because we recognize there are things that God's people did to connect with the spirit of God. So we read about that in Acts and you know, they did, they spent time praying together. They spent time even worshiping, uh, studying, teaching the apostles, breaking bread together. Uh, you might even say early Lord's Supper type. So there were spiritual practices that helped them to commune with God. So if you ever think about your church, your Sunday church gathering as anti-kingdom, some people think that they go, oh, the church, the Sunday thing is what's screwing everything up. It's not. That's just, um, it screws it up when it's the only thing you got going. Mm. Um, so anytime you get together with God's people to, to go vertical, as we say, that's a beautiful thing. It's not anti-kingdom. That's part of it. Um, we want everybody to eventually commune with the spirit and with other believers. Um, but the other parts of the kingdom, the other two circles, we called inclusive community. And the third one we call the mission. Those are more horizontal. They, they're not related to how we relate to the Lord, per se. They're how we relate to human beings that we live next to. And so, you know, the inclusive community is what we would call the party circle. It's, um, you know, like I, I frame this anywhere I go in the world. I go, are Christians perceived to be inclusive or exclusive? 
And everywhere in the world, people say, oh, yeah, our street creds were exclusive. <laughs> Uh, and that's, that's a huge problem when the one that we're trying to follow, Jesus, the great missionary, was the first inclusive person the world had ever seen. And so we said, let's take our cues from him instead of our cues from uh, religion or from the church. And so um, we just thought, well, we got to create a social space, then, a place where people can just connect and be humans together. And for us, that became the party, the, the invite for eating together and just talking and no sneak attack, no praying before the meal. <laughs> so, uh, I, I learned to teach people how to, how to do a toast right before the meal and to toast just like a prayer and to toast for shalom upon your friends that, uh, that this week would be a blessing in your, in your business and uh, that your children and your spouse would love you more than they did last week. You know, so you can toast and people will still cry, you know? And so we just said, but just get people together without any religious overtones. And so that became the inclusive community circle. Um, and then the third circle, real simply, we just called mission. Mission, we, we took that out of Genesis 12, where the very first microchurch was Abraham. And God said, you got to leave mommy and daddy's house. You got to leave the church now. You got to leave everything you're used to. And you got to, I'm going to send you to a place that you're not going to know about right now. And someday uh, the whole world be blessed with the blessing I'm going to give you. So the mission circle was about the tangible touch of God upon people. Cause that's what blessing means. So if you pray Shalom upon your friends, you're praying that they would have food on the table, that there wouldn't be the Russians invading your countryside, that um, you'd have uh, peace within your body, peace with, with your relationship with the creator. It's holistic peace. It's, it's practical help. So, um, so we just began to go, let's, um, let's always keep our antennas up for any practical way we could help people. And those became the three circles. Uh, another way to maybe think about communion, those things that we do to help people just be with God. Uh, the inclusive community circle are those things that we do to help people to know that they belong with us, even if they don't believe or behave the way that we believe or behave, right? Mm -hmm. And the mission circle is those things we do to bless people. So that might be a different way to look through it. And, and we just started to recognize that we were rhythming all three of those circles every week. Um, in fact, we spent probably 90% of our time only with unchurched people. So we'd have two or three, you know, Cheryl and I got used to saying, look, we've got to eat 21 meals. Let's just give five, six, seven of those away a week. Those were essentially the party circle. That was an invite to just be with us as people or us over at your buddy's poker party or whatever it is. Um, but as Christians came from a church context, we, we started to realize that the two-on-one was not workable for them at a weekly level. It was just, it was too big of a jump. So, we asked them to consider the two-on-one rhythm at a monthly level. So uh, the way it would lay out as we're taking the existing religious people into a new form, we'd say twice a month, have a time of communion. So don't do a Bible study every week. Uh, you're going to need some extra time. So every other week, maybe Thursday night, get together and talk through scripture and pray for each other. Real simple. Um, and then on those other weeks, throw a party. And then on that, that other week, go serve together, go help people. And, you know, it can be, you know, I remember one time we were actually having a communion time and there was a news article about a family right around the corner that their house had almost burned down the night before. And we just, we kind of called an audible. We say, let's, let's walk down 
the street and just see if that family needs any help. So we all went down there and uh, we kind of freaked them out. Just, it was a bunch of us. And we said, Hey, we heard what happened. Anyway, we could help. We got a couple hours and ended up being able to help and encourage them and uh, then invite them back for a little chili at our house, you know? And so it was a real seamless time, you know, but what we would say theologically, missiologically is that whenever you get any group of friends together, that will learn to integrate, not do them as like methods, but that will learn to integrate them spontaneously. Uh, that makes the kingdom tangible to people. So the gospel becomes something that they can smell and see and yeah. hear about. And, uh, and that's kind of how things grew. So we just, we wrote that tangible kingdom primer, TK primer. That was an eight week journey into those three circles or those rhythms. So I think we've probably moved, uh, at this point, almost 400,000 people through the primer as sort of a missionary training on the ways of the kingdom. Um, and it doesn't work for a lot of people uh, because they try to make it like a method. Oh, I did the communion circle. All right. So yeah. some weeks you might need to throw four parties. Yeah. And there's times you might spend a whole month just doing the mission circle to help somebody out. And um, I think, I think too, you, um, one of the things that often happens, we used it with some success at Granger when I was there back in the day. And the, and the ones that took were the ones where people were trying to go deep into one relational network, into one place or one unreached pocket of people. Yeah. So if it's like a current small group that comes from six, seven, eight different relational networks, and they're trying to figure out how to do two, one, one, it gets super complex. Cause and, then and they're, all, and they're all driving 20, 30 minutes to see each other. Yeah. It, it doesn't take, it's gotta be proximal. Yeah. Um, that's a key part of it for sure. Key part. And we've, we've put our, a little spin on it. We, we, we do the two, two and two. Yeah. I, you always improve everything I do, Rob. <laughs> that's not what I was trying to say. I'm just trying to say we're telling stories. It's well, not. <laughs> Brian Sanders, the last one said, we don't want to give people models because then we like slavishly reproduce them. We tell our story and then you're invited to interact with the story. So what we did um, is the, the two out represent one party in the serve. So it's the same thing, like a, a very porous kind of socially inclusive space. And we tell people again, a party could be anything from three people at your kitchen table to 150 people having a block party. Like you just, don't get stressed out about the size of it, right? It's like, just be where you are in the journey and have to activate your table, whatever that looks like. The serve is, again, making the kingdom tangible. For us, same thing, two up. So at least gathering with the people who've overtly stated, like, I'm following Jesus, wherever they're at in their journey, engage the scripture, spiritual habits. And then we do two in. And this one sometimes confuses people. They're like, what do you mean? Well, we're, we're organized like a mission agency. We're saying you need at least twice a month, stay connected to coaching and equipping so you're not isolated out there. Be a part of this decentralized network and benefit mm-hmm. from the teams that are there to support you. Um, Brian, what would you add to that, man? Nothing. I, I think that that's, a, again, we approach that from kind of a network level. Um, I, I still think 211 for our family. Yep. And when I'm engaging uh, the underground in different ways, I'm thinking, you know, both of those. Cause it's like, again, I, 
it, we talk about two, two and two, as if it's like, um, we talk about checking your pulse, you know, it's like it, as a athlete, you know, or whatever, some, some people's heart rate, they might be super healthy at like 45 other people. It's like 55. Right. So that, that if you drop down to like 25 though, we have a problem. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and potentially you have a problem if your heart rate just never drops below 90, you're just trying to do too much. You're going to burn yourself out and be unhealthy in that way too. So there's like that base level. Uh, but it's also like, how can I increase in that? You know, like if it's a different season of life, like you said, there's, there's times where you can give five and six meals away a week. And there's times when you like have that sort of base level, let's make sure we're inviting people into our table once a week or twice a week or whatever it is. Um, but just using it kind of like that pulse check of where are we and how are we opening our lives to create this sense of community. But I wanted to, you know, take it from not just kind of this idea about how we engage people in the world, but also this mattered to your family, like this shaped the way that you parented and the way that you discipled your own family. I mean, I know I've, I've talked with you about it, but I've also read about it. So like, talk about, you know, your girls, they live with in your same community now, like, because they want to, right. Because you gave a different sort of paradigm for what it looks like to be a family on mission. So how did this affect the way that you discipled your own family? Before I make it sound like it ended up good. Um, I that, <laughs> Our whole lives, we wondered if we were short sheeting our girls' spiritual formation by not having a normal church that they could go to every sort of uh, age-related ministry from fetus all the way to, you know, high school. So we always second, you know, I guess, question ourselves a little bit. And at times, we threw pretty rowdy parties. So there's times where we thought, I don't know, is that good? Uh, you know, lots of, and then they wanted to start going to parties because they liked our parties. And so you know, there's a, a lot of tension points related to going on mission as a family. But the day that they, with my wife said, let's, let's go do this together in Alton. It was one of the best days of my life. Cause I was like, somehow we passed along a story that they want to continue. Yeah. And I think that's what the whole thing's about. Like that's, that's how the gospel spread. It was moms and dads, single mom, single dad. It was just somehow you live a story that somebody wants to emulate. And I'll be honest with you. My daughters are some of the best missionaries I've ever seen. I've trained them all over, trained church planters all over the, the world. And I put my two daughters up against anybody. They just somehow they picked up the intuitive aroma of kingdom life and they're, they're amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, in some ways I wish they hadn't because then I wouldn't have to keep going on mission, but they, they drug me on round three, as they called it. Um, three. I love it. And I, I love that now we've got five grandkids. I love that they're already seeing the same story. So I go, I think this, I think this thing's going to continue um, because we live into the same rhythms. People always ask like, are you doing anything different in Alton than you did in the tangible kingdom? And it's like, at a life level, no, we just went right back to kingdom rhythms. But yeah, we're doing more business-related stuff, uh, more justice works, more, uh, yeah. So it might look a little bit different, but that's the beauty of micro anything. Every one of them gets to look a little bit different. Um, 
But yeah, we are a movement of micros. And uh, we have no interest in just doing this if it's just to give coffee uh, to the city or whatever. Like it's about the transition of somebody's desire for God and the changing of the atmosphere in our city. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I think this will be the way we always live. But I will tell you, it's always easier not to live this way. And uh, so it helps to have some brothers and sisters that go, yeah, let's do this together. You know, you in a tangible kingdom. And I do want to say, if, if you're listening today, you've not read it. it Go get it. Yeah. It's on the short list of must reads. Like it's in the top five. So repent and go read that book. Um, But you talk about um, specific barriers in the Western culture to all three of those dimensions of what it means to be a microchurch. Like, why don't you unpack that a little bit? Because those are yeah. pretty significant barriers. And they're all barriers I still struggle with. So I don't think we ever get over them, but it's, it's uh, consumerism, which is the desire to have things primarily fit your life before mm-hmm. they help other people. Um, so consumerism, individualism, and materialism. Those three will be what you fight against. When people want to go back to just going to church, uh, they're dealing with one of those three. When when is you've given eleven months to just love into a, a neighbor, and they move to Vegas to take a new job, and you go, well, screw it, I ain't gonna start this all. <laughs> you know, the, the issue there is one of those three. So, um, nice thing is that the gospel's there to transform, right? All of that. We we're not a consumeristic movement. This is a Christianity is a dying. It's a death movement. Mm. It's a downward journey. And once you finally settle that issue, you're not looking for a church that just gives you everything that you want. You're now going, I'll give my life for any group of people <laughs> that mm-hmm. want to go give their lives for the, for the city or for other people. Um, and it's not individualistic. You can't do, I mean, I guess you, you, yeah, I guess you can go to church. You could just download Tim Keller on the weekends and just do your own thing. Maybe your whole life, you could keep your love for the savior, but um, I don't know. I don't know what the eye contact looks like when you finally see Jesus someday and mm-hmm. you knew he was the great missionary and, you know, what's it look like to never follow him in the mission? I just, I, there's anything I worry about. It would be that, um, I don't know. I've, I've often told people like, I don't need Jesus to go halter. You were amazing. I just want him to say, well, you were fun to watch halter. You at least were, you were in the game. You're doing this thing. So I, I feel like that's the, the beauty of this thing is, um, you know, the materialism, I, I think, I don't think most people struggle that much. I mean, we all want stuff. I don't meet too many people that that's a struggle. It's usually the consumerism and the individualism yeah. are the real kickers for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm an introvert. So I, you know, I've joked, you guys have heard me. I don't like, I don't like any humans at all. Um, I'd always rather be by myself. That's, that's Hugh Halter. But Hugh Halter was crucified with Christ, so it's no longer Hugh that gets to live. It's Christ that wants to live. So that's the game for me, is letting Jesus be the crucified leader of my flesh and all my desires. And so let's, let's make it real practical, uh, because I, I think two of the barriers that most people bring up are time and margin. And you have some really helpful tools that I still use with coaching people on this one of like, 
how do you address time and margin? And I know like one of them I would tee up would just be like the way you calendar on Sunday nights and things like that. But one, yeah, time and margin go. I mean, and this is, this is, and you guys know, this is that when we talk about the life of the family, like the extended spiritual family, we have to talk spon- spontaneous life, right? Cause that's what yes. life is. It's, but you also know that as a parent, you're scheduling stuff all the time for your kids and you know, when the meal times are and whatever, so I've just found that and if I get it on the calendar, it happens. If I don't, it doesn't happen. So we would, we would coach our communities to get together and actually plan out a week or, I mean, a month or two months at a time. Like figure out uh, there might, you know, the Super Bowl might be coming up. So you go, well, hey, let's throw a big one on that day. And just thinking through, like, it's not just the, the rhythm that you do as a family. It's the community of fellow missionaries. So let's say you have two other couples in your group that are really co-leading with you, mm-hmm. I'd say have a great dinner with them, uh, you know, once a month and plan out three months together on yes. at least when you're going to throw parties and yes. what nights of the week are we going to get, get together and encourage each other in the Lord. So Cheryl and I knew every other Thursday night was going to be our communion time. We could kind of lock into that. And as things began to unfold, cool conversations with people, we could actually then make the invite. Hey, I don't know if it'd be of any interest to you, but about every other Thursday night, we get together and we just, we have dinner and we talk about life and God, we pray for each other. That was our invite. So if I don't plan that, that amazing time every week is not going to happen. And if we're not, if Cheryl and I don't sit down every Sunday night and go, Hey, do we have any free nights this week? Um, our two daughters were in ice hockey. They're traveling all over the country. Uh, and we had to travel with them a lot. So we would have to look at our schedule every week and go, okay, what nights are we at the rinks, whatever. Um, and we had to find those little slivers of opportunity and go, let's do it then. Mm-hmm. Let's invite them over uh, Monday night. Looks like that's our only night free. So Monday night, when we have a few couples over. Um, so to me, the, the personal, like what's going to really help a micro church take or not take is intentionality. And it's intentionality together. So however you got to sort of handle that, um, do that. But I still spend three hours every Sunday night and I plan out all my spontaneous life. And, uh, you know, and if God wants to interrupt, he interrupts. But a lot of it happens the way that I plan it out in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, yeah, I just encourage that. Uh, the, other, the other really big one is microchurch gets fun when you get free time. Uh, and so you may need a year to just clear your life. The best thing you can do to go on mission is to say no to almost everything that you say yes to. Mm. Uh, you get bored and you go, oh, I got nothing to do in the next four hours. I think I'll just go visit and you pop by and all of a sudden their friends are over and yep. three hours later you go, man, that was awesome. So to me, that's the kicker. It's, it's all related to time and intentionality. Um, so give that a go. If you go, I just don't have time, then you won't be on mission. Yep. In fact, that's the, that's the one primary thing about being a disciple. It's availability. Jesus can ask you 10 times a day, hey, how about we go do this? But if you every time go, uh, I can't clear it. Well, then you just are not going to be able to go. Jesus doesn't like stop and turn around. And go, okay, fine. I was going to take you there today. But why don't we just sit in your basement while you play some games or what, you know, we'll just do that. No, he doesn't do that. He goes, maybe I'll check in with you next week. See if you got some time. 
So I think all the great things of the, of the gospel are related to our availability to go. And if you're, if you've been pastoring and you literally can go, man, I haven't seen the power of God for years. I think the, the whole thing is the problem's not your church or I think it's uh, availability. I think, I think Jesus wants to show you yeah. his power. I remember when you guys were getting started, Rob, uh, and you just started, like it immediately started happening to where every time we met, you went, it's working, it's working. And you <laughs> fired up because you were seeing God show up in ways that, you know, maybe it was even a surprise to you that was happening that soon. But I see that every time when somebody clears the time, they go, it works. Something's happened. Yeah. And it took, it took us 18 months of saying no to other things to make more and more space in one particular yeah. network of relationships in our neighborhood. And, um, and that's, I think that's the value of intentionality over time. Like we're not saying you have to do this by next week, but over time, create this regular rhythm of how do I invest more and more of my life? into this one particular pocket of people. And it, and if we're there, you're right. All the good stuff happens in the margins and that's where Jesus works. And, and that's when you have this profound sense, like I'm not making something happen. I'm, I'm literally on the heels of Jesus (laughs) and it's literally the greatest life, but you do, you have to die to the individualism first and the consumption first. And I want to invite everybody again at the end of this time today to like sit with the loving, firing, kind of fiery gaze of Jesus tonight and ask him to talk to you about your individualism, your consumerism, like open yourself up and say, Lord, what do you have me? What do you have to say to me about that? I challenge you. I challenge all of you to do that. And I want to also recommend, um, I'm going to ask you one more question in closing here. Um, Hugh's got a book called happy hour. If you go to hughhalter.com, uh, it's been an incredibly helpful training resource. Um, it's, it's very small, uh, but it's really potent and it'll teach you how to create a culture of merriment. What is it? Holy merriment. Is that, you know, it? I mean, that we, we wrote that because when we were doing the TK, the three circles, and then walking people through the primer, we started to recognize that, uh, Almost all the people that stopped doing it, they quit between week five and six was, and that's when we were asking them to throw a party for their neighborhood. They didn't know how to throw a party. I realized the hardest circle for Christians is to be a fun person. <laughs> so we said, well, I guess we got to write a book and teach them how to throw a great party. And that's just a walk through Acts 10, where the church actually changed from a racist movement, Jew only, to for the whole world. And so we're just walking you through that story and the power of uh, and how to throw a good party, you know, the power of a meal together with some friends. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I have a lot of fun. With, I think that if I get shot in the neck today, I will be most proud of that one thing. I think maybe I help people throw a good party. Come on. Yeah. I, I just think some practical things that we've learned from you, we put them into simple training resources for the network I think that's also important to hear in light of this conversation. When we talk about micro churches, we're trying to equip everyday people. We're not, we're not trying to just give you content. We're trying to give you resources to help you um, be effective in whatever network of relationships to which Jesus has sent you. 
Mm-hmm. And so some of that is taking these little things. Like when, when I asked about time, one of the tools we created or that we walked people through was like, Hey, give you a journal. And for the next two weeks, just write down all the things that you do, like stop every few hours and go back and journal. I did this. I did this. And some of it's easy, like four hours of work here, lunch break, four hours of work here. And then we would coach people like, all right, let's look at your calendar, all the things that you journaled. What on here can you say no to? Like, that's what you're saying. Like, where can I create that margin? Or not just what I can say no to, but what can I repurpose for the sake of disciple making for kingdom blessing? All of these lunch breaks that I had this week, I ate alone. Do you have to? Are there- yeah, I have a lot of YouTube to watch, bro. <laughs> so, you know, it's like it's beginning. That was a, that was an important one. The party one, we actually created a just a simple like bullet list of things to do. Like step one was open the door. Actually, that wasn't step one. You have to send out. So move barbecue from backyard to the front of your garage. Yep. Cavemen will come out of their homes and they'll find the smoke. Yep. We call we call it what is it the don't don't be a mullet house <laughs> business in front party in the back like switch it <laughs> when you put the grill out front people will walk over and we've done that several times too where it's like hey the grill's heated up if you've got some meat you want to throw on it we're just going to hang outside and yeah. I think that's one of the things that you and Cheryl did right was just have happy hour every day yeah pretty much. Unless yeah. they want to throw tofu on the barbecue, we like. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> there, there are rules of the grill. Sir <laughs> <laughs> Hugh, one last question, man. Um, you know, as you look out at what's happening, where maybe even ten years ago, even five years ago, there wasn't uh, the same openness to validate this smaller expression of the church is actually the church. It was kind of seen as um, like, what do you just, what, what, that's not church. What, that's something else, you know? And there's been really quite a dramatic um, increase in openness and curiosity and the number of, I think, legit practitioners that really, they're not trying to just run a new methodology. Like they're, they're committed to a long obedience in the same direction. So I, I want to ask you a question that might not be, intuitive um as because as we joked earlier about about you being a curmudgeon but i mean what are you actually most hopeful about as you look to the future of the church here in the west and what seems to be percolating anything yeah i i do one is not going to be encouraging until you see it from a different side but i i feel like the the church as we know it, I don't think it's going to come back. That's just my personal. I don't think it'll just 20 years from now, we'll be going back to churches like they used to. And I think it's going to affect the business model. The The money is going to finally get disconnected from the mission and it will get out into the hands of everybody. I think that's an amazing opportunity. So if you can go to where the puck's sliding on that and and not worry too much about your livelihood being connected to this way of life, I think you're going to get there faster. Um, The other thing that I think is really encouraging to me um, is just that it works with normal people. Like, you know, in the end of Revelation, it said uh, there's a 
thing that we've been meditating on. It says, and he's talking about the new city. It said, and in there, I, I did not see the temple. <laughs> um, and it, it was a, a metaphor and a going back, looking at the whole reason why Jesus did what he did was to put the temple inside of us as a people that move out into the world. So I just, I feel like people are getting this. I feel like those under 30, they're, they're never going to go back. And when you give them this as an option, they love it. They take it. Um, when I share this at, at universities, uh, they just eat it up because they want an alternative. Um, and they don't want an alternative ministry. People under 30, they have no interest in ministry. They don't even care about converts or hearing that, you know, we're multiplying disciples. And multi they want to know if the world is getting better. And I feel like the new wave of missionaries, they actually care about the world mm. and not just souls. And to me, that's a gospel thing because that's what Jesus cared about, the whole earth being brought into conformity with his original plan. So um, to me, I, I feel like the, the justice issues, the poverty issues, mm. uh, the racial issues, they're, they're no longer disconnected from uh, the gospel story. They're being integrated and so I feel like that's maybe the, the best thing that I'm seeing right now. Amen. Yeah. It's encouraging. Hugh, thanks for uh, spending some time with us today. It's always, it's, you may be curmudgeon about it, but it's a joy for us to learn from you and to continue watching what Jesus is doing in Alton through that network. Um, so I'm sure that we'll have you back on in future webinars to hear more. Um, just real quick saying hey to those of you in the chat, Tammy, Gary, David, Red Bear, and all of you that have been contributing and having conversations. We hope today was super helpful for you. Um, you can get in touch with Hugh by just emailing Halter at gmail.com. He's one of those super accessible people that may or may not email you back. Uh, <laughs> my encouragement to you, our encouragement is pick up Tangible Kingdom and read it. Um, pick up flesh, just make sure you Google flesh, comma, Hugh Halter. Uh, Hugh flesh goes to the Playboy site. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, uh, happy Hour, all of the, the books that Hugh has written have been a part of, of kind of like the library that we offer missionary leaders as a way just to continue to equip yourself, educate yourself in this way. So thanks for being with us. See you next week. Grace and peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org. 